together as a body of Christ, that we can be in his presence and worship his holy name. For his way is always better. We have always things coming at us all week long. Voices, situations. Let us come together as the body of Christ and know that his way is better and he will get us through all things. Let us surrender to him this time and be in worship in spirit and in truth.
Good morning. Welcome to all here in the sanctuary this morning at First Church, along with those that are watching on Facebook Live and listening on T102. We are truly blessed beyond what we hear during the week, and we need to be thankful for everything that God has given us, especially this week, that beautiful rain and, and a little bit of a break from those high temperatures. So, And I'm also thankful for the people that just gave us this beautiful prelude this morning. What a way to get our minds and hearts set on today's worship. And if you would now, please stand as we have the call to worship. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's degree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his ruling with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Before we continue worship with hymn number 105, let me, let me take care of the announcements that I forgot. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Wayne and Nancy Bombard, who celebrate 62 years of marriage on July 16th. Happy anniversary, Wayne. <laughs> Junior and senior high Bible study meet on Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Bible study today will be at Jack and Sarah Shrelicky's home. Bring a lawn chair and your Bible. All 7th through 12th grade students are welcome. Now we will continue worship with our hymn number 105 in the blue hymnal, He is Lord.
the children forward for children's chat with Tori. are asleep today. Oh, there you go. Good morning. Good morning. That's a little bit better. That's a little. It's summer. You guys should be sleeping in, and you guys should be re- really well rested. Guess that's not the case today, huh? Okay, so today we are talking about Jesus, the King of Kings. So I have a question for you. What do kings wear? Crowns. And what else do they wear? Armor. Armor. Do they wear robes? Fancy robes like this? Yes. Uh-huh. And then what do kings carry? A scepter. And what does the scepter represent? What does this represent? Do you know? No, not quite. It represents their power and their authority. And kings have a lot of stuff, don't they? They have gold and silver and jewels. Where do they get those things? From people, absolutely. So, you know, all those those things that we just talked about, the robe, the crown, all of those things, did Jesus wear any of those? No, No, he didn't, because Jesus was a different kind of king, wasn't he? Did Jesus wear a a fancy robe? No. In fact, Jesus kind of dressed more like this, right? He had the staff, he had the sandals. And he really wasn't a super fancy kind of guy, was he? And did he wear a a crown that had a lot of jewels in it? No. What kind of crown did he wear? Crown of thorns. Yes. And did he carry a scepter? No. What did he carry? Staff. And he also carried the cross, right? He carried our sins to the cross. So Jesus is a different kind of king, but yet he's called the king of kings pretty cool, right? That means that he has all the power and all the authority over everyone and everything, right? Because he's up in heaven. Exactly, exactly. So Jesus didn't just want to be king over countries and armies. He didn't want to be that kind of king. He wanted to be king over our hearts, right? He wanted to be king over our life, right? He wanted us to love him and to serve him because he's the kind of king that wants to give us that forgiveness and that love and that life that we can find in him. So he's a lot different than, you know, the kings that wear fancy robes and really nice crowns and all of those things because he wants to be king over our life and over our hearts. And that's pretty cool, right? That we And we can put him there. We can make him Lord and king over our lives by giving our lives to him, right? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords, Lord, and he is in control of everything. And yet he still wants to be involved 
in our life. Lord, he wants to be the king over our hearts. Lord, help us to make you king over our hearts and our lives today. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tori. You kids can head back to your families. A couple more announcements I want to add in uh, before we invite the deacons forward to collect the offering this morning. First of all, you noticed on our Facebook, uh, our, our group page where we announce or post announcements and prayer requests, there's an announcement this week about an opportunity to serve at our Daily Bread Soup Kitchen up in Lima. Uh, we had a group that would serve on Tuesdays once a month. Uh, before the pandemic and when the pandemic hit, obviously things changed. We took a break for that for a while. And that day is now has been taken by somebody else. And so there are two opportunities available. Um, it would be the first Friday of the month or the second Wednesday of the month. Um, so if anybody's interested in committing to serving at our daily bread soup kitchen on a monthly basis and either of those dates work for you, I encourage you to reach out to the church office or to me directly and we can give you some more information about how you can serve in that capacity. The other announcement I want to share with you is um, looking ahead to the fall. Uh, Labor Day weekend is going to be our fall kickoff here as we, as we celebrate the start of a new Sunday school year and all the different ministries that begin in the fall, like youth group and other Bible studies. And we're going to do things a little different for our fall kickoff this year. Um, this year, we're on September 4th, which is Labor Day weekend. We are going to have outdoor worship at the New Knoxville Park. And we're going to invite everyone to come and join us for worship that day. And immediately after that service, we're going to just have our fall kickoff right there at the park. And so um, there's going to be a meal afterwards. So if you're going to join us that day, we encourage you to bring a dish to share. We'll have everything set up in the shelter house so that when the service of worship is over, we can transition right into a time of celebration as we start our ministry that fall. Uh, we're also going to be doing uh, baptisms that day. If there's anybody that's interested in being baptized, we're going to be looking uh, to do that as well. There's a couple that have expressed interest, and so we're going to work towards that as well. So there's still more details to follow, um, so keep, your, keep looking for those uh, throughout the rest of the summer. But we just wanted to get the word out so we can begin to make plans, so you can begin make, to make plans to join us for outdoor worship that day. Once again, that's Labor Day weekend, September 4th. That's going to be at the New Knoxville Park. So with that being said, we want to, I want to invite the deacons forward at this time to collect our offering.
and I invite you to remain standing as we continue to worship our Lord and Savior and King of Kings with our next praise song, King of Kings.
invite you to pray with me now. Lord God, we lift up our prayers to you this morning. To Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you, God, because you are three in one. We thank you, Father, for your wisdom and your guidance and your provision in our lives. We thank you for your good and perfect will. Lord, which sometimes is not easy for us to see, especially when we're in the moment or we're facing difficult circumstances. But we do praise you, Father, for your good and perfect and pleasing will. And we ask that you would help us to see and understand it better for ourselves. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Jesus Christ, for your death, your burial, your resurrection, and your ascension. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that you died in order to rescue us from our sin and that you were raised to life. And we praise you, Holy Spirit. We praise you that you are present with us. You are, you are the, the tangible expression of God's presence with his people. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have been given to all who trust in you, who trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. We thank you that you are our seal, our inheritance, and that we have the full confidence that, that just as you are present with us now, Lord God, that, you, that we will be present with you for all eternity, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of who you are and what you've done for us. And so we do praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all that you are. And we ask that you would continue to draw us to yourself, to help us to understand you better and deeper, so that we may love you better and we may serve you better. And so, Father, we come before you again and ask that you would work your will in our lives. Lord, for those that are in need of healing, we pray that you would grant them a special blessing, Lord. We thank you for the many doctors and nurses and, and all the different care facilities in this area and the way that you often work through those people to bring about your healing. And we ask that you continue to do so. We thank you also, Father, for those and, and ask for your provision for those who are in need. We ask for your guidance for those that are seeking wisdom. Lord, for every person that's represented in our prayer list and the other, all those that are gathered here today and listening on the radio or online, Lord, whatever our needs are, we ask that you would meet them in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Lord, we also ask that you would raise up your church, this body of believers, your children, Lord, to be the answer to prayer as you enable us and equip us to, as you give us the opportunities to. Father God, you work in and through your church. And so we ask that you would equip us and empower us now to be your hands and feet in this community and in this world. Lord, we also pray for those in authority over us as your word calls us to do each day. And so we pray, Lord, for our local governments at this time, the, the village of New Knoxville, for Auglaise County, as well as our surrounding communities. We thank you for those who give their time and their, and their energy, their wisdom, Lord, to serving these communities. And we ask for your blessing upon them and their families. May they have a wisdom beyond their means and a hunger and thirst after your righteousness. And Lord God, we thank you for our church family here in this place. We thank you especially this day, Lord, for our consistory, for our elders, our deacons, our trustees, those that serve in leadership positions in an official sense. 
and ask for your continued blessing and guidance in their lives as they seek to serve you by serving this church. And we pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated at this time. Our scripture reading today comes from two different passages in the New Testament. First, we'll be reading from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. And we'll be following that with a reading from Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. I encourage you to follow along with me. The words are printed in your bulletin, or if you have a Bible of your own that you can follow along with, that's a good thing too. So first, hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And from Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we have the privilege, Lord, and the responsibility to go to your word now this morning. We ask that you would bless the reading of your word, that you, Holy Spirit, would work in our hearts and minds and, and, and help us to understand and apply what we hear today. I also ask, Holy Spirit, that you give me words to speak that may glorify, glorify our Father in heaven and point people to the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. We pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to be continuing to study who Jesus is and and answering the question that Jesus poses to each one of us, who do you say that I am? And so far we've looked at Jesus as Messiah and Savior, and today we're going to be studying how he is our Lord and he is the King of Kings. Really, what we talked about last week about Jesus being our Savior leads just perfectly into this passage here today or this topic here today because the fact that Jesus is our Savior and he's our Lord go hand in hand. You see, it's impossible to have one without the other because, they, because it's like they're two sides of the same coin. If Jesus is our Savior, if he is everything that we said he was last week and everything that we believe him to be, that he has truly saved us from our sins and rescued us out of our unrighteousness and from the penalty of our sins, then he must also be Lord. He deserves our allegiance and he deserves our obedience. And so today we're going to be looking at this, this simple phrase that you see in Romans chapter 10, that Jesus is Lord. It says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
Now, Paul, as he wrote Romans, didn't just kind of pull that phrase out of thin air. That is a, a phrase that was loaded with significance, especially for the early church, but also today. In a sense, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, is a, a pledge of allegiance, right? Everybody would know what I mean if I were to turn towards the flag, right, the American flag, and place my right hand over my heart and, and recite those words that we're all familiar with, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag to the United States of America, right? We understand that. It's something that we all were raised with and, and, and were taught from an early age. It's a, it's a declaration, right, of our, of our allegiance to our country, the United States that we live in, right, represented by our flag, well, in a sense, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, was like a pledge of allegiance to Jesus and to his kingdom. And as Tori so wonderfully put during children's chat, right, his kingdom was not of this world, right? The kingdom that Jesus was establishing wasn't Israel or the United States or any other earthly kingdom. It was his heavenly kingdom. But that phrase, Jesus is Lord, was like a pledge to his kingdom, in fact, before there were faith statements, right, before there was an Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed, before the Heidelberg Catechism existed, or before we as a church developed our own faith statement, that simple phrase, Jesus is Lord, really served as the faith statement for the early church. That was the declaration that they made, and when they made that pledge, it was very clear what they meant by it. You see, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, was, was in direct contradiction to the claim that Caesar, right, the head of the Roman Empire, was Lord. In fact, there was a common pledge, not the pledge of allegiance to the flag, but there was a common pledge that, and it was Caesar is Lord, right, to, to claim that he is in charge, that he is the supreme authority, that whatever he says goes. And people living in the Roman Empire, whether citizens or not, were expected to pledge allegiance to Caesar. And so for the early church to come around and say, no, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is, that was a very strong statement. You see, Jesus himself even said that no one can serve two masters. He says that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right, so, so that word master in Matthew 6.24 is the same word that we find in, in the phrase Jesus is Lord. Master and Lord all point to the same Greek word. And so he's saying that you can't serve two lords or you can't serve two masters. And so to claim that Jesus is Lord is to also claim that Caesar is not. Right, and it's, it's an exclusive claim on our allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. It's like the exclusive claim that takes place in a marriage ceremony, right? As, 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 a, as, a two, as a couple stands up here about to pledge themselves to each other as husband and wife, they make a commitment to each other. And when they say, I do to one another, they're saying, I don't to every other person that's on the face of this earth, right? It's an exclusive commitment that they are making to one another. And so in the same way, when we claim that Jesus is Lord, when we say that he is our master, that he is the supreme authority, we're saying, I do to him, and I, do, I don't to all other claims on authority. Now, let me clarify that for just a moment, right? So when we talk about Lord, when we talk about the idea of a master or one who has authority, there are lots of 
lesser authorities in this world that we interact with every day, right? So when we say that Jesus is Lord, it doesn't mean that no other forms of authority exist. They do. But Jesus is the supreme authority. And so we all interact with lords or masters or authorities every day, whether it's our boss at work, whether it's our parents, could be police or law enforcement, and obviously the government itself, right? Everyone deals with authority in one form of another. It's an inescapable part of life in a civilized society. But it's important for us to know and understand how those different levels of authority interact with one another. And so when we claim that Jesus is Lord, we are claiming that he is Lord over all other forms of authority that exist. Christ and his kingdom deserve our allegiance more than our work, more than our country, more than political preferences, and even our family. Right? Those other areas of authority are important and good. But then they can certainly, excuse me, they must be put in their proper place under the authority of Jesus Christ. And I believe you will be a better employee, right? You'll be a better citizen of this nation, and you'll certainly be a better spouse or parent or even a child when you first make Jesus, when you put him first in your life. And so Lord had a very, um, uh, there was like a secular, right, understanding of Lord that, that tied to Caesar's role in the Roman Empire, But we also need to understand that Lord is also a title or name used for God throughout Scripture. You see, there's an Old Testament practice of of replacing the name of the Lord, Yahweh or Jehovah, with that word or title, Lord. And so I've shared this with you before. All throughout the Old Testament, you see those capital letters, Lord, right? Those are pointing, that word is pointing to the name of God. But, But the tradition has always been, out of respect for the third commandment, not to take the Lord's name in vain, to call him Lord instead. And so to say Jesus is Lord is also to connect him with Yahweh, the God of Israel. So if you combine those two ideas, right, Jesus has all authority. He is our master because he is in very nature God. He is the eternal son of God and the second member of the Trinity. And that's why Jesus can make claims like he does in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me because he can make that claim as the son of God. That's a claim that no boss, no government official, not even Caesar himself can claim because only Jesus can do that because he is the son of God. Romans 10 goes on to talk about, you know, we believe We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, but that we also believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Why is that important, right? Why is it important that we also believe that God raised him from the dead? You see, resurrection is proof that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, that he truly is Lord of heaven and earth. When Jesus was crucified, there was a sign above his cross that said, King of the Jews. He was killed precisely from a human perspective because he was a threat to those in power, both in Rome and in Jerusalem. But the resurrection vindicates that claim. And not only is he king of the Jews, not only is he king of the Roman Empire, but he is king over all creation and even over death itself. The death and resurrection of Jesus were like his inauguration or his coronation. Right? It was the moment where his power and authority overcame 
sin and death and the enemy. And so death itself has no, has no authority over him. And he has received all authority from his father. Psalm 110.1, pointing forward to Jesus, says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. See, the Father, God the Father, has given all authority to the Son. And after the resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father in fulfillment of that passage. You see, to believe and confess the resurrection is to believe and confess in Jesus' lordship. Because if the resurrection is true, we must confess him as Lord and Savior. We have no other choice. But the question still remains, if we believe Jesus is Lord, then what is he Lord over? And there's four things I want to I share with you this morning. First is that he is Lord over all creation. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right? All things were created in him and for him. Everything that exists finds its purpose, its meaning, finds its, its, it is sustained in the person of Jesus Christ which means that he is sovereign over all things. Nothing in all of creation is outside of his control. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question number one, the answer reads in part, not a hair can fall from our head without the will of our Father in heaven. In fact, all things work together for my salvation. Right? That's our confidence. That's our hope that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings, that there is nothing in all creation that is outside of his control. And so he is Lord over all creation. He is also Lord over all nations and powers and authorities that exist. Again, as an extension of his authority over all creation, he is also uh, sovereign over all nations and kingdoms and rulers. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, Paul writes, speaking to the Father, says, He exerted the power he exerted when he raised in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Again, Jesus has been given authority over all things, including the nations. That's why he's called King of Kings, right? In Revelation seventeen fourteen, right? They, they will make war against him, but he will triumph because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That phrase, King of Kings, is a, it's a, it's a Hebrew, um, what's it, like a turn of phrase. To say somebody is the King of Kings is to say they are the greatest of all kings, that there is no king greater than them. We see that same sort of uh, terminology talking about the temple and the Holy of Holies, right? The very center of te- the temple was called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And so to call Jesus King of Kings was to call him the greatest of all kings, And of course, his authority over all nations will be realized in its fullness when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. Now, one caveat there, that does not mean that all current political regimes in the United States and otherwise are Christ-like in nature. But God does allow sometimes evil rulers to exist, yet they are still under his authority. Even Satan himself cannot operate 
outside of God's sovereignty. So Jesus is also Lord over the church. Going on in the Ephesians passage in verse 22, it says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We believe here that Jesus is the head of this church in all churches, right? It's not the pastor. It's not a denomination. It's not the elders or consistory. It's not even the congregation itself. I hate to break that to you, right? But Jesus himself is head of this church. And so our role as a congregation, right, is to seek the Lord's will together and follow him where he leads us. And so we have a responsibility both individually and corporately to seek God's will and to study God's word, to be people of prayer and to stand firm in our faith. And the last area that Jesus is Lord over, I mean, again, we've, we've covered our bases and said that he's Lord over all things. But to be more specific, he's Lord over us as individuals as well. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Right? Jesus paid for us with his very life, his blood shed on the cross. And so in response, we're called to live in obedience to his commands which means that we have to have an attitude of repentance, right? Going, repentance is an ongoing attitude, not just a one-time action. It means turning away from evil and turning towards what is good. And sometimes that is a day-to-day and even moment-to-moment decision. And if Jesus truly is Lord and he's Lord over us as individuals, then Jesus has the right and authority to tell us how to live and to demand obedience to him. You see, he created us. He redeemed us. And he knows how our bodies are meant to work. He knows how relationships are meant to work because he's the one that designed it. And when we tell him no, right, when, that we, when we tell him that we know better than him and can determine right and wrong for ourselves, we're no better than Adam and Eve in the garden. We attempt to usurp his authority and claim it for ourselves. Therefore, we need to know God's word, his plan, his promises, what he calls us to do and what he calls us to avoid because we cannot obey him if we don't know his word. We cannot follow his leading if we're not seeking him out. So all this talk about lordship and obedience may may have us question, right? Does obedience earn our salvation? All this talk about Jesus being Lord and needing to follow him, does that mean that, that what we do somehow earns our place in God's family? I think this passage and and all of Scripture answers that with a resounding no. Obedience flows out of our salvation. It is not a prerequisite. Pastor and author Tim Keller once said, Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm saved. But what Christianity says is, I'm saved, therefore I obey. Right? And the order that we've discussed these things in is important. Right? We talked about Jesus first being Messiah and Savior and then Lord. Not that they're one thing stacked on top of each other. Like I said, they're kind of Savior and Lord are two sides of the same coin. But we must remember that the clear teaching of Scripture is that faith and grace and mercy come first. And obedience flows out of that. So like Paul says in Romans 10, everyone who believes will never be put to shame. He says, believes, not obeys. 
says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? It's about our profession of faith, not our good works that are the basis of our salvation. But it is true that genuine saving faith will always result in good works. That's why Ephesians 2.10 says we, were God, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good things, which God, God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved to do good works. There is no doubt about that. But we are saved by grace and faith, not by our good works. I've talked already about a few important points of of application here, but I just want to reiterate them for you as we wrap up our time here this morning. If Jesus truly is Lord, then we need to put our trust in him, confess him as Lord, and make that commitment to follow him. It's both an internal commitment that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and it's also an intentional commitment externally to be obedient to him. Submission and obedience are not popular words, but they are important. And so we need to examine our priorities. We're going to make time for the things that we care about, the things that we value. We're going to make time for those things. And so do you make time for him? Do you make time for regular worship, for Bible reading, for prayer, for discipling others, including your own family? What's one practical step that you can make this week to make him a priority? We also need to know and obey the word, right? We can't obey what we don't know. And so we need to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's guidance to help us understand and apply God's word to our lives. Right? If, if you... If you need a place to start, this week is a great opportunity to jump into our reading plan for the summer because tomorrow is our day to start in the Gospel of Mark, chapters 1 through 3. So if you've missed out on that and you're looking for a chance to jump in, this week's a great opportunity to do that. And finally, and this, this may be, this is the part that where something finally clicked for me this week. Yes, we need to be obedient. Yes, we need to submit ourselves to Christ. Yes, we need to know and obey his word. But we also simply need to step back and be in awe of Jesus and who he is. Author Paul David Tripp says, Sin is an awe problem. When love for something else outweighs your love for God, you're always going to turn your back on him. And so he, say, he goes on to say that we often replace God with other things in our lives that get our attention in our awe. In other words, everyone is a servant of something. Romans 6 says that we are slaves to the one obey. So it's not a matter of if we serve, but who. And so we need to examine ourselves and ask, what have we replaced our love for God with in our lives? That something else has become our Lord instead. And so we need to learn to practice awe, to, to, to meditate on his character and works, to slow down. We always rush on to the next thing. We're always trying to fill that silence. Instead, we need to slow down and truly appreciate and be in awe of be something that is done begrudgingly. It is meant to be a joyful willingness and a response to God's glory, his goodness, and his grace. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this time here this morning in your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord and that you are king of all kings. Help us to know and understand that in our own lives. And help us, Lord, to live a life of obedience to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, I encourage you to stand.
as we sing our next praise song, Son of Heaven.
may be seated. Just a moment ago, I spoke of how important it is for us to slow down and meditate on God's goodness and on the salvation that we've experienced in Christ. Because when we do that, we'll be in awe of Him. Right? Our, our focus will be on Him and, and obedience won't be out of a, a begrudging uh, obligation, but out of response, joyful and willing response to His love for us. Communion is an opportunity for us to do just that. As we take the bread and we take the cup, it's an opportunity for us to slow down, to meditate on all that God has done for us through Christ. That he loved us to such an extent that, he, that, that Jesus died on the cross for us. He went through the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. And he did it so that we could be forgiven. And so he gave his life on the cross. His body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could be made new, so that we could receive his righteousness. And so as we take this sacrament to our comfort this morning, we're going to serve at the altar again today. And I, what I, I want to do is I want to encourage you to, as you come forward and take the elements, take them back to your seat. Take as much time as you need to go to the Lord in prayer and, and just reflect on what he's done for you. And then when you're ready, we invite you to take those sacraments to your comfort. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. An infinite price paid on our behalf. And we thank you that, that you rose him from the grave, that you raised him to life, and that he now opens the door to eternal life to all who believe. Father God, as we take communion here this morning, help us to remember our sins. Help us to confess our sins to you, Lord, because we have all fallen short of your glory. There is no one righteous, not even one. And so, Lord, bring to mind those things that we've said and thought, the things that we've done, Lord, that were not pleasing to you. And help us also to remember those things we've left undone that we ought to have done. Lord, bring those things to mind so that we can lay them at the foot of your cross, knowing that the price for those sins has been paid. And Lord, help us also to joyfully follow you to turn from our sin and embrace you as Savior and Lord, to experience your grace anew this morning. For we know that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he said, I've received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me for until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, we invite you to take the sacrament to your holy comfort.
I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we are so grateful for this sacrament which you have given to us so that we may experience anew your grace, your love, your holiness, and your righteousness anew every time that we do it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross, that that this bread and this cup point us and remind us of the sacrifice that you made. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present with your, your people, always present with your people. And we ask that you would guide us and equip us, Lord, empower us to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you from this day forward. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.